I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. And I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. It's the big hundo, the big 100th episode. Long time coming. A hundred weeks in a row that we've been doing this, which is too many weeks, I think. I'm so surprised that we've never really missed one. Yeah, a hundred consecutive weeks is a lot of weeks. It's so many weeks, actually. <laughs> it kind of feels like 100 weeks, but then on the other hand, it feels like I've never done anything for 100 weeks. It just feels like 100 <laughs> weeks is, a, is too many weeks. I don't know. Too many weeks to think about. <laughs> yeah. A lot of weeks. Hey, but we did it. It's 100 hours of Magnificast you can listen to. <laughs> uh, think about all the times we've said, uh, uh, you know, think about it. Think about all the us we've said. Probably a lot. Probably 100 per episode, really. Yeah, that's right. A thousand us. <laughs> cool yeah well uh we're here so in this episode uh we asked you all for questions um we asked you all for your theology questions that we could um we could answer and goof on and uh listen you guys sent some that we could actually answer and that's fun also sent some that we super cannot answer and oh my gosh some people ask the hardest questions (laughs) they were good questions just not questions that we're qualified to actually address we're not qualified for much <laughs> yeah i mean i should i should qualify that by saying we're not qualified to answer any of these but we will try uh in our magnificast branded branded way we'll we'll give it our best shot <laughs> hey well anyways uh thanks for listening to this podcast for so long um thanks for giving us money on patreon all you patreon folks um it's been it's been a wild ride and i guess we're gonna keep on doing it i don't know there's no reason to stop yeah we're not quitting now anyway maybe 150 we'll we'll revisit that (laughs) we'll see (laughs) at 150 that's that might be season one and we'll take a long nap (laughs) yeah that's right um and then we'll catch up in real time later when we reboot the magnificast (laughs) magnificast (laughs) 2 this time it's not magnificast 1 still doing it. um still doing it (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, uh, Dean and I decided that um, before we get to the user questions, we thought we would go back all the way to the very beginning of Magnificast, where it all started, uh, where Dean and I met for the first time, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Christianity. Uh, and we would just, we would take their questions first, kind of like, you know, you got to like pay your debts, you know? Uh, well, I mean, you don't have to pay your debts because uh, debt is bad. But in this sense, we're going to pay sort of our dues. Uh, we'll, we'll pay our dues, not our debts. That's, that's <laughs> fun. We'll pay our dues here in the sense that this is kind of where we came from, and we want to uh, give back to the community that birthed this uh, beautiful relationship that we have. Um, so we've gone through our Christianity, and uh, we've pulled out what I think are the most pressing and important questions, the, uh, the most important theological questions or sort of like Christian culture questions of the day. And we're just going to kind of do a quick rundown of, of uh, the big ones here. So, Dean, do you want to kind of address the first question on the uh, on the list here? Yeah, sure, I will. However, I'll say one more thing about the uh, format here. So Matt and I spent a very absurdly long time last night 
in, late into the night searching these, uh, just trolling our Christianity to find these questions. And some of them we shared with each other, and boy, were they very good. But some of them we also kept to ourselves to share later. Uh, so let's first talk about the ones that we, we already shared with each other, because I'm still thinking about them. They're real, real mind puzzles, and I want to throw the first one at you and see if you came up with any new solutions between last night and tonight. Uh, so here's uh-huh. the first one. I'm moving out soon, and I was trying to figure out how I want to set everything up in my bedroom. I was wondering if it would somehow be wrong or relatively incorrect, religiously speaking, to place a katana and a crucifix on the same wall. So, Matt, is it is it fine? Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, I think it actually just makes a lot of sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense from the vampire hunting perspective, in the sense where, like, that's the wall that the vampires can't get to. That's true. Uh, because the katana or the katana is there, and that's like you know, so you can cut their heads off. But the crucifix is there so that they can't touch the katana. It's kind of like a, it's just a really good plan um, <laughs> if you live in sort of a vampire infested area. Yeah, so I guess it's, it's permissible if you live in Transylvania, but uh, you should probably seek the permission of your bishop first, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right, throw throw me this next one here. All right, all right. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I, it's hard. It's hard to even read it. Actually. Uh, okay. So this one's tagged uh, with uh, the word "serious" before it, so you know it's a really. It's not a joke question. Yeah, it's just a, I, I button mean, the top button all. on my shirt. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, button it all the way up. Uh, here's the question: uh, Is it disrespectful to pray on the toilet? <laughs> and then the body of the post goes like this. I've been wanting to pray and read the Bible more to become a better Christian, but my biggest flaw has always been very little self-control. <laughs> I find Same. it difficult to manage time. <laughs> yeah. I find it difficult to manage time and keep schedule with anything, especially prayer, because I feel forces of darkness are at work in my life. <laughs> that was just the Taco Bell you ate for lunch. <laughs> I was thinking of making a habit of praying every time I go to the bathroom. Would this be considered poor practice? So, Dean, uh, uh, yeah, is it, though? <laughs> uh, I, well, hmm. it is really hard to say. Is it disrespectful to pray on the toilet? Well, on the one hand, I want to say no, because God's everywhere. What are you going to hide? That's in the Bible, right? That's a, I'm pretty sure that's a verse. God's everywhere. What are you going to hide? Um, but also... Not your butt. Not your butt, for sure. And, well, I guess in addition, the Bible is a very good, like, Big John's bathroom reader type of book. Uh, so you could just slide it in there in the old magazine tray. Um, on the other hand, it is hard, I feel like, to give your full concentration to one or the other task here, and that is my biggest concern. Okay, I can see that. Um, one user comments back and says, nope, would your dad be offended if you call out to him while on the loo? <laughs> and, uh, listen, as a dad, this happens to me a lot, and yeah, I'm kind of mad about it, actually. <laughs> I just, Lewis, it's fine. Uh. Just go to the bathroom. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Say thanks afterwards. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. So let me throw you this third one, just the the preemptive ones that we found yesterday, um, and then yeah, we okay. can we can give each other these sweet gifts that we wrapped. Uh, all right. So the title of this one goes: I think I sold my soul. Dot dot dot. So over the summer, I was super depressed. I couldn't sleep because of it. I had no one to talk to, so I tried texting my ex, and it was obvious she didn't like like it. But I began to kind of have a crush on her, which really didn't help anything, I'd say so. She avoided talking to me, so I kind of gave up. But then I thought to myself, I wish I could have her. I want to sell my soul just to date her. I didn't think much of it, but four months passed by. No, you didn't. (laughs) Four months passed by, and she's texting me out of the blue. You got to wait for the empirical evidence here. She's texting me out of the blue. (laughs) We talked for a couple months, and she asked me out two months after. So now we've been dating for one month, and I'm just really concerned if I actually sold my soul. No, no. No, you didn't sell your soul. Yeah, but listen, uh, this doesn't. The wish was made and apparently granted. So the question is, was the payment also charged to his metaphysical deposit bank? So here's the problem I have with this. Uh, uh, so the okay, first of all, the the first person that responded to this, uh, God, God bless him, said <laughs> you didn't because that's not a thing. Which I appreciate that. That's that one good responsible Reddit user out there. Hey, but the actual uh, answer to this question is no, you didn't sell your soul because that's not how you do it. Uh, there's a whole True. other sort of um, situation that you have to go through. You got to go down those crossroads. You got to get some uh, dirt from the graveyard. You got to bury a chicken bone or something. You got to bring it's your guitar. You got to have uh, big ambitions to become the, the world's most famous pop star. <laughs> That's right. That is, wow. Uh, yeah. 
You got to be John Mayer as part of it, I think. <laughs> That's true. I think you're right about that. Uh, that explains the horns that he's always got at all so, the concerts. Yeah, I mean, my problem here isn't that uh, that you can't sell your soul. I'm just saying that like it's more complicated than just like wishing it. That's yeah, ridiculous. okay, okay. I can buy that. I can buy that it, it isn't true because of the low effort made. <laughs> all right. Well, good. I'm glad we can agree on that. That wasn't uh, that wasn't gonna, that wasn't what was going to tear us apart here <laughs> uh, at episode 100. <laughs> I'm not going to storm off after this one. Um, all <laughs> right. So so we've each found a few questions on our own and uh, hidden them away like squirrels. And today's the day. The uh, well, that's probably a bad metaphor because there's actually a horrible blizzard in Toronto right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, throw them at we, me. What we do you hit, got? We hid them under a bushel. We hid these under a bushel. That's one right. Another. That's right. And now, and now we're gonna no. let them shine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So here's here's mine for you. This is the gift I've got you, and I think that you're gonna really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> so the question on uh, our Christianity goes: What does the Bible say about going to prom? Can Christians <laughs> go or not? Oh no. Oh, uh, what I, what does the Bible say about going to prom? Well, Jesus went to yeah, prom can you think that of any once. Verses or yeah, he oh went, yeah, that's true. He went to okay. prom, and that's where he had the first miracle. That was the Gospel of uh, Thomas, I believe. Uh, it was the Gospel of Promise. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. So you can go. You can go. That's what the Bible says. Um. All right. Let me hit you with another one. Lightning round. Can you cast spells yeah. with Christianity besides prayer? Uh, okay. A little more detail here. Prayers pretty much work like white magic. It allows you to speak with God in order to do stuff. Is there any way I can use spells that isn't occultic in nature? And here's the important part. I used to be a wizard in the occult, so my wizard ways come out every once in a while. Yeah. So that, I'm glad that you gave me the extra bit there at the end. If you already were, if you already classed yourself as a wizard, then yes, you can also cast spells because you've already got the mana. It's like, why not use it? But besides prayer is the real question here. Can you cast well, yeah, spells yeah, with Christianity prayers, besides prayer? Prayer doesn't use any mana. It's just like the the spells do, but prayer is just like a anyone can do that part. That's true. That's true. A good free cast. Very generous on, on God's part. <laughs> uh, prayers are cantrips. Uh, spells, uh, they do have slots. So there you go. So how about this one, Dean? This one, uh, It's a big one. It's a big question. Yeah, a okay. real moral and ethical question for the teens these days. All right, I'm ready. Uh, yeah, the title is just Vape Help. So God <laughs> gave me a dream where I realized that vaping isn't a sin. <laughs> uh, just like Peter got that dream about all that food he's allowed to eat. <laughs> That's right. It's exactly like that, actually. <laughs> However, when the Bible says to repent, it doesn't always mean from sin. I don't know what that means. God repented... God repented many, many times. <laughs> so do you guys think it's a... <laughs> oh, my God. So do you guys think that the practice of vaping would keep me out of my spirit? Keep the Holy Spirit away from me? Not a sin, for sure, but a lust of the flesh slash spirit, most likely. <laughs> what do you What do you think? Here's what <laughs> I the think. the end of that question? I think that... <laughs> Okay, you're enjoying that peaceful slumber. You just said your prayer spells on the toilet, and now you've got a well-earned, well-earned good night's sleep. <laughs> and in the middle of that sleep, uh, all of a sudden, you see this vision of a, a blanket coming down, just loaded with vape fluid. And at that point, who's to say no? That's my big question. I think the vision really trumps it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, some people might think of vaping as unclean, but no, it's, uh, you know what? I'm sure it's just fine. Uh, there's a lot of other things in this question that are really, I don't understand. So I'm not even going to touch those. But I do love that. Uh, I just love the premise of God gave me a dream where I realized that vaping isn't a sin. It's like a, it's like the beginning of a magical realism story. And uh, it's about to get very good. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, you got to hear the next chapter of that one for sure. <laughs> Um, all right, let me toss you this one. This is a very, very challenging and difficult one. So I understand if you need to take a pause, but let me just uh, set it up. Here's mm-hmm. the title. Does seeing aliens in an ancient aliens way put you alongside the unforgivable sin? All right, now here's the explanation. Jesus has said to have given the Pharisees a lesson in the unforgivable sin after they lowered him to the level of Satan or man and beasts to make him look bad. Uh, I don't know if you've got a, a Bible handy, but maybe you could just find that story. So if someone believes <laughs> in the Father or Son, but on that basis, it all boils down to extraterrestrials, are they in that territory? So just to bring you back to the main question here, does seeing aliens in an ancient aliens way specifically put you alongside the unforgivable sin? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't understand about 90% of that question. 
Um, but I'm going to say, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, if you saw some aliens out there and they were building a pyramid, uh, for example, yeah, you're kind of done for, I think. Yeah, but it's in an ancient alien's way is the key, really. <laughs> yeah, like the thing is, you think that they're in a chariot in the sky, but actually it's a spaceship. And yeah, you're done. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. Too bad. Um, yeah. I, I guess you're destined for hell. It's that's rough. Yeah, it's a rough um, fate. You know, our Christianity is actually only it, it's about ninety percent questions about aliens. Um, so Dean, here's your here's your turn at aliens. Um, wait, wait, wait. One, Be- before it, you yeah. get there, can I just say this question was asked twenty days ago? <laughs> it was asked in the year two thousand and nineteen. Anyway, okay, we can uh, move on. Go yeah. ahead and hit me with that new one. I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, uh, this one's aged to perfection five years ago, so <laughs> uh, it has some good oaky notes to it. Uh, so this is the question and you gotta wait till the end. Cause there's a good twist. If we met an alien species that we could communicate with, uh-huh. would there be any biblical laws preventing us from marrying them? Hmm. I know the Bible condemns bestiality, but I don't think this would qualify. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. What do you, what do you think about this uh, question? Oh boy. It's a really good question. Hmm. Are the aliens animals? I guess that would be the real question. Um, Are they beasts? But so counterpoint, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, you know. So yeah, but they might not. Who's be to mammals. say? Oh, they that's might true. Be if lizard people. It, so if they're lizard people, is it bad then? Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. What do they have? Scales or fur? Do they? Well, mm-hmm, hmm, mm-hmm, no. There's mm-hmm. there's other qualifications of being a mammal. Uh, do they um, give a live birth? <laughs> and do they also lactate? If so, I think you're golden. Yeah. Uh, the comments to this question are extremely concerning, uh, where people are, are uh, citing, I, as you can probably imagine, that, um, well, at one time, marrying someone of a different race of was, you know, viewed as sort of uh, sinful by the Bible. And that's bad because they don't understand what race is like. Um, but okay. Hey, I don't even want to know the answer to this question. No, um, no. I think it's just... I think it's good to keeping it sort of a mystery, you know? Yeah, I think that's good. That's probably the best idea. Um, all right, well, let me toss you one last one just to keep on this alien theme. Um, okay. So I want to ask you this because uh, I just feel like it's really good to have an outsider's perspective. And uh, the question uh-huh. is, does the Pope have to be human? Uh, now, I've got mm. my own, my own, you know, uh, thoughts here, but I just figure as a good Protestant, maybe you might be able to shed some light. So the, the question goes on to say, I'm not Catholic and I don't mean any disrespect. Perhaps I've been hanging around our futurology too much. But following on from the thread asking about a female pope, what would the Catholic position be on having an android pope or an alien pope or a disembodied AI pope? Uh, There are a number of other hypotheticals, but I feel like that's probably a pretty good way to start. Okay, so I thought this was going to be a question, like a conspiracy theory kind of question about like, what if aliens are the pope and like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they, they took it in the direction of AI or something is very fun. Yeah. You know, I think the Pope might be better if it's, a, if it, if the Pope would be AI, the robo, um, I mean the robo, the, the robo Pope. Yeah. Um, Hmm. I guess it would be better. All right. Let me throw, know. let me throw a wrench in here. No, then. I don't. Um, yeah. Go ahead, please. The same question actually go, asker goes on to say, presumably it's okay for an Android to convert to Christianity. However, is there any way they could waterproof their circuitry? Do they really want to get baptized? I'm sorry? There's an android that's a Christian? Well, presumably it's okay for an android to convert to Christianity. But the real <laughs> hang-up here... you presume that? <laughs> well, it's just presumable. I mean, you could just presume it all you want. But uh, the real okay. question is, can, yeah. can they get wet? Can they get Jesus yeah, not... wet? Yeah, see, and that's the thing, though, is that... Because they would have to if they want to get baptized, so that's true. But also, everyone knows that the Pope does love a good water park, and if they're not going to get wet, like, what's the point of even being a Pope? It's part of the it's part of the job responsibilities is going on the slides. That's true. And in the and in the wave pool. Uh, that is true. That is a very important part of the Pope's job description. Uh, all right. Why don't you toss me uh, one last one, and we can ask answer some uh, some real listener questions here. Okay. Hang on, I just closed all of mine. <laughs> Perfect. That's a good metaphor for for all hundred of these episodes, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just one second here. Oh no, where did all of them? Where they all go? Um, hopefully to hell, where they all belong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Here's the final the final uh, our Christianity question. Question: How should a Christian view anime or the medium in general? <laughs> Hello. 
that's how it starts. <laughs> like they address this like it's an email or uh, like a, a a public address. Hello, I'm someone who used to have an unhealthy obsession towards the medium anime until the Holy Spirit convicted me to stop watching it on my own personal leisure. Right, okay. <laughs> how should we view this? I'm not saying every anime is bad and you should stop watching it. However, in my personal experience, some of the anime has affected me mentally in some way, even down to the subconscious level. Okay. Uh, causing a shift in my behavior and how I think. Some of the things I had with it allured me to continue watching it oh, are boy. that I just wanted to fit in with others. This is a wild, long sentence. Um, okay. So anyways, uh, hopefully this might open some eyes to some that have been through similar situations. Uh, so how should Christians view anime or the medium in general? I, uh, when I first read this question, uh, I thought it was like, how should they watch anime? Like, how, how should Christians view it? Like, should you just, like, watch on your computer? Um, but no, they mean, uh, sh- like, how should you understand anime as a as a sort of conceptual piece of media? Yeah. Boy, that is a, a really tricky one, isn't it? Because there's so many kinds of anime. Uh, you got you got those vampire hunting animes. Those are a little dicey. Sometimes they get a little churchy and you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you got mm-hmm, those big mm-hmm. robot animes. Those are probably fine. Um, after all, one of them could be Pope. Uh, <laughs> you... nothing stop- Presumably, at least. <laughs> I really think this comes down to how many tentacles are in each episode. I think that is really the key. Mm. Think about that Castlevania. Have you seen Castlevania on Netflix? No. It's a very, it's a very anti-Christian sort of show. Um, well, that's probably why I don't watch it. You know me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, many priests do get killed in it by Dracula. Yikes. So I think if Dracula's in it, no, don't watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to contribute to his whole thing. You don't want to contribute to to the celebrity of Dracula. You don't want to glorify that kind of violence. <laughs> but if you find yourself slipping and you do watch the good Dracula anime, make sure that you do have a katana on your wall with your crucifix. <laughs> That's going to help you out a lot. Um, hey, the comments in this question are so frustrating because uh, this person's like, hey, uh, maybe I shouldn't watch anime is kind of what they've kind of they've understood about their life, which is, I mean, good, yeah, you know, fine. good for you to, if you're self <laughs> if you're self reflective enough to do that. But then everyone in the comments is like, I like Narita. Wow. Cool. Have you ever seen Cowboy Bebop? And it's just like people <laughs> talking about how much they like this anime. You guys, uh, cause, if you cause someone to stumble, I mean, just yeah. get that millstone out here. <laughs> Bad news. Don't do that. <laughs> well, uh, anyway. That was probably a lot funnier at like one in the morning last night, but I do enjoy just a quick romp through how completely bizarre the world of Christianity actually is. Yeah, man, it's wild that I haven't been on that um, website for, I don't know, a few years probably. Yeah. And it's not changed even a little bit. It's exactly how I left it. Yep, it's true. Um, tells us something about Christianity, I guess. <laughs> it's always bad and they're always concerned about aliens. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I am too. I was just saying to Emily the other day that uh, aliens are my only like um, things in movies and stuff that I'm genuinely afraid of. They'll keep me up at night. Why? What's so scary about aliens? I don't know. She asked me that too. And uh, I told her I just had all these nightmares about aliens when I was a kid. Now she's convinced I've been abducted. And who knows? Maybe I have. Ooh, yeah, man. Probably not. But um, you never know. Yeah, but maybe. I mean, I'm still afraid of them. So who knows? Presu- presumably, you could have been. Presumably, I could have been is exactly right. Hey, so how about some real questions from real <laughs> yeah. people? Yeah, okay. Not like these fake people on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, let's go through some of these. So uh, <laughs> we we did think about them. Uh, we chatted about them a little bit last night, and we tried to determine a few that maybe we could really give some insight on. I don't know. It's kind of bizarre. We decided to do this theology episode because people are always asking us to talk about theology, and we resisted a lot, I think, because neither of us are A, trained theologians, and B, don't really have, like, the, I don't know, well, I'll just speak for myself. I don't really have, like, the the attention span to get nitty-gritty into theology questions, which is not a dig on theology. I mean, that's what people do, and that's cool, just not not my jam. Um, not something that gets me pumped. Um, if you don't have the attention span for it, then I doubly don't. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna we're gonna go at these anyway. I feel like there should be a disclaimer at the beginning of this of uh, I don't know, like don't try the theology at home or uh, you know, not trained professionals. Like basically, yeah, like whatever they showed at the beginning of like a like a jackass video, uh, but it's for theology. Like don't you know? Oh man, don't don't be like Ch- Steve though. Uh, what's the theology where? Uh, what's the theology question where we're going to go into, like, um, you know, our parents' house and wake them up with, like, a loud noise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. We'll find out. We'll find out here. Um, 
when one of our parents just sits up <laughs> right now in the middle of the night and it's like, what is my child doing? Then we'll know. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Hey, so the first uh, the first person that sent us questions, uh, should we say their names? Sorry, that's we should probably should have talked about this. Yeah, we is probably okay should have. No, let's not do it. They'll know who they are. You know who you are. Listen, we're not so saying it because person... we didn't get your permission, so sorry. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> good point. Uh, so the first set of questions we have, somebody sent us a whole mess of them that are really good questions, and a few of them, uh, we've we've editorialized them for sure because we took out some that we just thought like we definitely couldn't answer, but we did leave in the ones that we thought we could. So here's the first one that uh, someone has submitted to us. How do we deal with the concept of hell? Uh, and then they go on to say, I can't reconcile the concept of a God who punishes some people for eternity with the liberative God I believe in. So good cue. Dean, uh, go ahead and answer that one for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that softball right off the bat. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. So uh, what th- What about hell, though? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How do we deal with the concept of hell? So this is actually a good question. I think interesting because it is so foundational to so many forms of Christianity, and not all of them, but so many people, uh, I think, are formed by even how they like view hell and understand themselves and other people uh, related to it. So, yeah, at least for me anyway, like I came from a really conservative form of Christianity, of evangelicalism, in my teens. Uh, I like snuck out of Catholicism and hung out there for a little bit before I snuck back in. And... Um, yeah, I think it was like really determinative for my consciousness in a nasty kind of way because I thought like everybody was going to go to hell and it was my job to help them not. Um, and I also had this problem. How could you reconcile the concept of a God who punishes these people forever uh, with the idea of a God who's like really loving and maybe also liberating? And it's hard to say. I think for a long time I was very attracted to ideas of universalism because I thought it kind of got me out of uh, certain... Um, uncomfortable ethical stance so the idea was like yeah as hard as it is I guess everybody just goes to heaven Um, and I have a professor here at the Institute for Christian Studies named Nick Ansel who wrote a really amazing book called The Annihilation of Hell which is probably like the coolest book I ever read about it even though it's very hard to read Uh, but these days I'm kind of coming back around to the idea of hell I don't really know if I I don't know like how to characterize it as a place or whatever but having hell as one thing in kind of your like rhetorical toolbox i think is kind of helpful when you think about oppressed peoples and situations that are genuinely bad because like if you can't really have justice in this world and you can't really have a certain at least amount of punishment in this world for the people that are genuinely ruining it and like destroying people's lives then the only hope you could have is maybe for an afterlife um i feel like i've sort of split the difference with like purgatory in my life i appreciate that doctrine a lot because the idea is everybody kind of just has to like have a little bit of a bummer period and some people have a longer one than others and then you get out um maybe that's how i'm most comfortable splitting the difference but yeah i don't know how do we deal with it i think there's kind of a lot of different reasons but the biggest question is to ask like who's going there and why I don't know. What do you think, Matt? How's, what's your relationship to how like? Yeah, it's actually a really wild question because I, I was like reflecting on this a bit before we started talking. And um, the the moment in my life where I started asking like big questions about hell, I think was uh, the moment in my life where I started to become, uh, I think, a radicalized person or at least started thinking about politics in a lot more um, meaningful ways. Um, not that it was like good or anything, but uh, that's just like maybe it was a was a moment where I thought, about some big ideas in my life that mm-hmm. I never thought about before. So like, I remember being in um, an undergrad class on the philosophy of religion and uh, we read, we were reading St. Anselm and it's not great in retrospect actually, but um, I don't actually know if I can even judge if it's not, it just wasn't fun to read. I, know what I mean, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, thinking about St. Anselm and the problem of evil was like this huge moment for me where I was like, well, I don't think actually if, uh, if God is like absolute good, uh, you know, and the absolute good thing has to exist or else it's not good. Like if that's the case, then like, I can't actually believe in hell because that would mean that God isn't, isn't as good as I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for me, that was like this huge moment where I was like, well, I guess I'm a universalist and all of these kind of things came with it. And that universalism, uh, to me, I think started me, started me down this path of like, I think political liberalism, like in like a good way. Um, and I think that ended up leading me towards anarchism and Marxism eventually too. So for me, like universalism was like this moment in my life where I stopped. Um, it was just like a good way for me to step away from, uh, like very conservative types of theology that, uh, had very conservative types of politics too. So it's like weird because like on the one hand, I think that 
I, I don't know. If I really asked myself, if like if I really had to answer this question, I probably don't really believe in hell. Um, but the sort of uh, the thing that you set up though makes sense to me. Like if uh, people can't get justice in this life, maybe the next, maybe purgatory exists. I don't really know. I mean, I'm a I'm a Protestant, so I, I you know I have no idea. <laughs> so you'll be there. I have no idea. Is about, what you're trying to say? Yeah, I, the most I know about purgatory is what I've seen in the show Supernatural, and <laughs> I don't think that's right. But um, that's also, but it is uh, the, my favorite thing about purgatory is that it is where all the uh, the werewolves live. So that is what I do like about purgatory. Yeah, that's um, good. And that theology. I think that's right. Uh, that is in the catechism. Um, <laughs> it's in there, huh? Yeah, cool. I, I will say this. And, and Sam and Dean are there. So <laughs> that's right. I am. Uh, I will say this: there's there's no like uh, singular tradition of hell in the Christian tradition that is like the single one. I think that's really yeah, important. totally. Like Christianity is like a really weird thing that has had a lot of lives and a lot of long lives and a long history, and not everybody believes the same thing all the time. And I think that's just a really also very important thing because hell, like in react in the in the hands of reactionaries, it does obviously become a way to keep you in line. And uh, oh, yeah. to stop you from asking certain questions like, you know, like when I was a conservative evangelical, it would be like, uh, well, you can't think about like viewing LGBT people as having any real legitimacy in like your church life because they're destined for hell anyway. So like, you know, you got to get them get them through the Jesus store before you do anything else. And uh, that is exactly the kind of question that stops you from ever like thinking twice about, you know, whether or not Jesus actually would, you know see another human being as a as a regular human being before like consigning them to some weird pastor's vision of like what heaven is like or what hell is like so that that's something worth emphasizing anyway yeah it's good i also remember like well so i think when i was like maybe a senior in college or maybe right after i graduated uh the whole like rob bell love wins thing happened too Mm -hmm. and that covers so or that that colors so much of how like i think i understand that conversation about yeah. like hell or universalism uh in a bad way because i don't really I, I i feel like when that conversation was happening i was i was also kind of over the idea too so it was just like uh just kind of like makes the whole thing seem tedious to me as well yeah, yeah same i was living in grand rapids at that time and i went a couple times to mars hill his church while that book came out and uh man mm. it was something else um all right we gotta get through some of these other ones let me ask you this one um Mm -hmm. do you think that when we participate in a mass or church service that is ideologically conservative uh are we on some level reifying these beliefs by participating in them so this is such a weird question well it's not weird it's actually a very good question uh i guess i just think i know how to answer this one so (laughs) the so the answer is yes and no i think um so if you go to a church and you participate in, in mass or a church service if you're a Protestant. I love I love that it's either mass or just service at a church because <laughs> Protestantism is so weird. Um, if, okay, so if you go to one that's ideologically conservative, then are we on some level reifying those beliefs? I think, yeah, that's probably true. On some level, we are reifying those beliefs because it just like bodies and seats legitim- like legitimates something being the case, right? Like, um, I, I mean, I remember, I remember going to like some very small, uh, in conservative churches who like uh, very proudly report that they have like 73 attendees this week or something. Mm-hmm. Or even I remember like uh, <laughs> growing up the church I like I went to throughout my youth, uh, they would lose their minds because at Easter they had 500 people come. <laughs> so it's like in the sense of just being there, it does reify the conservative agenda um, or the conservative like um, ideology that's going on behind the scenes. On the other hand, though, I think uh, this is something this is a theological term I do know. So this is cool. Uh, I think that if you take this too far, though, it might be a type of like Donatism where it's like uh, the church isn't pure enough. So you can't really do the the Christian worship type stuff that you need to do with that church. Like, you know, uh, if you it, you know, you wouldn't want to say just because a church is ideologically conservative or you hear a really bad sermon from a pastor that like the Eucharist doesn't count there or that baptism doesn't count there. Uh, that would be a mistake because that would mean that the um, the like those that those. um <laughs> those Christian things, the, the parts of like the service or mass um, are on the side of the people that uh, work in that church, not on the side of God that uh, performs those things. So, so there, I don't know. Is that, is that right, Dean? Did I do it right yeah, there? That sounds right to me. I mean, I go oh. to Catholic church, so <laughs> I hope, I hope just being there isn't uh, completely and totally uh, reifying the conservatism of the church. Um, right. So yeah, I agree. hundred percent. You, you knocked it out of the park. Oh boy. 
I'm so glad. <laughs> okay, so here's this one. This is a this is an, a very interesting question too that I think I have some feelings about. So yeah, okay. uh, it goes like this. What are your thoughts on the necessity of attending a church in order to have a rich Christian faith? Do you feel that something other than an institutional slash literal church counts as, quote, church? I can't really think of any examples besides maybe something cheesy like hiking with your friends or volunteering. <laughs> Those are nice things, though. Mm-hmm. They're cheesy, but nice. So what do you think? Yeah, this one is tough for me. Um, I'm kind of like, I've, I'm two ways about it. Because on the one hand, I feel like, uh, all right, okay. I don't necessarily think you have to go to church to have a rich Christian faith necessarily, but I do think it helps. Um, I'll say that. Like, well, let me put it this way. I probably could not have a rich Christian faith if I didn't go to church (laughs) because I'm just like kind of lazy and it like helps to have that ritual and uh, have other people help me figure that out. Um, The second bit though, do you feel that something other than this institutional church can count as church like hiking or volunteering? Uh, In that case, I'm kind of inclined to say no, but only because I don't know why you would want them to count as church. Uh, Like, why can't they just be like hiking or volunteering? And maybe there's kind of a spiritual dimension to that or something. Um, But yeah, maybe I'm just too Catholic, but I I wouldn't, I guess I don't know why you would want them to be church. But I don't know. How do you feel about it, Matt? Yeah, I think I feel really, I mean, I, I feel similar. I go to a really liturgical Protestant church. It's a Methodist church that is pretending that it's an Anglican church a lot. (laughs) And I do like that about it. Um, and I think that, I think that you, what you said is right. I feel like I'm kind of lazy and like, I'm not going to read the Bible for sure. But like, if I go to church and someone reads it to me, that's great. I'm very into that. And <laughs> yeah. that's probably the best way for me to get through it. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I guess like, I don't know what I wouldn't have as rich of a Christian faith if I didn't go to church, even if, even though I disagree with my church on like, I think a lot of things, um, but I don't know. I think that that would be my answer. I don't really. Yeah, I, I'm also with you on the other part of like, does it have to be an institutional or slash literal church to count as church? Um, yeah, I don't know why you'd want it to be. But on the other hand, like, um, I think of, I, I don't know, we did the episode with the Friendly Fire folks a while back where they're like, you know, we meet and have this like sort of like interfaith worship. And I think that's not a literal church, nor is it institutional church. But I think it kind of counts as church in a lot of ways. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting to ask them what they think about it. Because on the one hand, yeah, um, yeah, maybe it does count as church. On the other hand, maybe it's kind of like a, a parachurch, just worship gathering or something, you know. Um, I yeah. don't really know what they would say about that. Yeah, and maybe that's also very good. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe it's be- maybe it's better than church. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it's also the case that people get together for, for worship in contexts that are not church. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess as a Catholic, I should say uh, also Catholics have different reasons for going to church because you got to get that that jesus body you know um can't yeah, get that yeah, home. Yeah. but uh that's a different situation <laughs> yeah for us just like gotta get that that great hawaiian bread and welch's grape juice <laughs> you gotta get the word <laughs> that's right uh neat hey look at we're doing these questions we're getting through them we're... like real theologians 2019 we were we're bearing that fruit <laughs> all right so here's a real big question hmm that I really, I guess I appreciate, I don't know how to answer. Uh, so the question is just this. So Peter Rollins, yes, <laughs> no, or meh. Hmm. So maybe you say who Peter Rollins is first, and then we can say what we feel like about that person. Okay. So Peter Rollins is a, uh, he is an author <laughs> from Ireland. Uh, he writes on a number of things, but he writes a lot of stuff on like, church and christian identity and he's got this whole project called pyro theology and he's influenced by a number of kind of interesting people but also problematic people like slava Zizek or uh jean-luc marion or caputo or other people like that so he's kind of in the the like nebulous world of postmodern theology stuff but like as applied to christian identity um he does some like storytelling stuff uh is that is that a good intro yeah what else could you say about it yeah okay He's got this whole thing about how, like, Christians should, like, leave their identities kind of at the door and, like, experience the trauma of sort of being together or, like, the trauma of of some kind of, of Christian uh, reality or or non-reality, probably more <laughs> more explicitly. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's a hard meh. Um, <laughs> I don't think – I mean, like, you know, wh- whatever is good for you, you just – you you do it theology wise. And I mean, if it's bad, it's bad, I guess. And you shouldn't do it. But <laughs> Peter Rollins to me seems kind of innocuous. Uh, 
and whatever. I don't know. I don't have any strong feelings about him. I remember I've, like, read some blog posts by him, and I've definitely watched some videos. He kind of has, like, a... I don't know. He does kind of have, like, a postmodern Rob Bell feel to him, like, but more serious. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, let me say this. Okay, so I've met Peter Rollins a handful of times, and every time I've met Whoa, him... Whoa, really? Yeah, he's been very nice and kind. So I, oh, that's I, good. I, I want to say that. Um but also, <laughs> uh, I, I it, theoretically or ideologically or theologically or whatever, I have a few sort of hangups, I guess. Um, there are two. So one hangup is that he has this sort of sense in which theology is always kind of a traumatic experience or always leaves you like kind of gasp, gra- like grasping around in this void of like not really knowing. And mm-hmm. I think that like there are times in life when that is true and it's important to like sit with them at with those times and like give them their full due. But I don't actually think that's the full extent of Christianity. Uh, and yeah. actually like, it's okay to sometimes just feel fine with it. Like not every minute of your religious identity or waking life has to be like an experience of trauma. And I think there's something kind of unhealthy about like fetishizing that like existential crisis moment. Um, so that's one side of it. And the other side is I feel like he often reads really radical thinkers and tries to translate them, but he leaves their political radicalism at the door for reasons that are not clear to me. Like, I've got my problems with Slava Zizek, but if you're going to draw from him to create a theology, like, at least be a communist of some kind or other. <laughs> uh, so that's the other side of it is, like, sometimes I feel like he sounds very radical because he's saying theoretically radical things, but in terms of, like, actual kind of you know, material radicalism, like where the rubber meets the road, uh, it seems kind of thin to me or at least underdeveloped or something. I'm trying to be charitable here, but I think it's a big problem. Yeah. Um, okay. So the take I'm hearing is that Peter Rollins, uh, should be a communist. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my take on everyone, but specifically <laughs> I'm Peter Rollins because he reads communists and then tries to like repackage them for evangelicals. Right. There's also something that kind of rubs me the wrong way too about the, um christianity is so, like super edgy um, yeah or like the or like it like yeah it leaves you traumatized and i i agree like it definitely can be the case but also like i don't know whenever i think of people who like really pra- practice christianity like really well i always think about monks which is i don't know maybe just like uh, another type of fetishization of like a different type of cultural form or something but it's like um Monks are people who are just, like, really good at Christianity because, like, all they do is Christianity and, like, that's it. And, like, if they, they can't not, like, you have to go to prayer and, like, someone's going to wake you up or whatever to go. And to me, I think what is so interesting about that type of faith is that it is, like, utterly boring in the sense that you just, like, live with it from day to day. And um, you kind of just, like, figure it out over time. And it's not, like, a traumatic break after traumatic break after emotional experience. And it's just, like, this is the practice and this is what yeah. you do. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, Um, especially because, like, if you talk to a lot of monks, I mean, it isn't uh, a flat experience, right? Uh, I mean, they have their sort of moments of uh, traumatic experience or, like, existential crisis within the routine of all the practice. Um, But it's because it's couched within, like, a long routine and narrative that it also is kind of given full force in some ways. And, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, there's something really dangerous about basically kind of pressuring yourself to always live on that edge like the edge of being like uh my faith is so kind of uh i don't know like in the void or whatever um and i guess i i also kind of say that as somebody who was like way into a certain expression of that at a certain point and uh now i'm i'm kind of uh maybe i I don't know i want to say grown out of it but that feels like condescending so i don't want to put it that way but that is how it worked out in my own life (laughs) yeah I mean, there's definitely people worse than Peter Allen's for sure. Yeah, like, yeah, it, sure. I don't know. I, I guess, like, the person who wrote this question to us, I just want to be like, if if Peter Allen's is someone that speaks to you, like, then just, that's cool. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't have any, like, I just don't have any, like, strong reservations. That's just, like, you know, this is this is all I have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> so, I don't know. I would just say meh for me. For me, yeah. he's a meh. But maybe for you, he's a yes, and that's cool, too. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Uh, well, here's a related question, um, oh, kind of in the oh, same geez. orbit, I know. Uh, can leftist Christianities be informed by radical death of God theologies or vice versa? What do you think about that? So, okay, let's let's make sure we're talking about the same thing here or that yeah. I have any idea what death of God theologies are. <laughs> so, okay, Altizer, right? That guy. That's, He's one that's of them. That's the dude. Yep. He's one of them. He just died so recently. The idea- 
Right. Yeah. And also Zizek, right? So he's kind of, he's interested in this for really other weird reasons. Um, so death and God theology is a type of theology that's like, okay, Jesus died and now God is also dead and has been sublimated into something else. Is mm-hmm. that, that's the, that's maybe the Zizek take, huh? Yeah. The, um, like the, the Hegelian part. Yeah. And I mean, it is a Hegelian sort of reading of theology uh, on its own terms. Like Altizer has that. Um, and so do a number of others, Hamilton and Van Buren and other death of God people. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds right to me. But it, okay. it it has an affinity even with kind of the Rollins thing we were just talking about because the death of God is a very traumatic sort of experience in like world history and also in individual life. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So can Christianity be informed by radical death of God theologies or vice versa? Um, like, I guess they could. <laughs> like mine's like mine's not and i don't really actually find that type of theology super interesting I, maybe i said i don't know enough about it or something um but it's not uh, i don't know doesn't seem like something that really appeals to me and i haven't really thought about it and if it informs your uh leftist christian practice or whatever then that's cool too yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good that's a very good uh middling matt Bernico take that i appreciate a lot yeah, uh, it's good, or maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I guess I would echo pretty much everything you said. I would add one one other thing, just to say, can leftist Christianities be informed by radical death of God theologies? Like, yeah, they they probably can, and vice versa. But the real question, I think, is are they always informed? Uh, like, are, are death of God theologies specifically always informed by kind of leftist um, politics? And I think in that situation, the answer is no, they're not always. Uh, And that is just like an interesting question to ask. Like sometimes death of God theologians sound really radical, especially if like you grew up in a, you know, tradition that is conservative or a Christian experience that is conservative or even like a liberal Christian experience for that matter, I suppose. Um, And there's something to be said about like upsetting the sort of theological discourse of the time, no doubt about that. But at the same time, if it doesn't translate into again like some kind of material program uh i guess my my question is always like how radical is the radical theology really which isn't yeah. to say that it can't huh. be just to say that i don't always know when people talk about it that's all yeah also okay so this is uh so we're mainly talking about theology and philosophy here but here's here's the rhetorical take um death of god theologies are really hard for me to get behind so um, okay let me, let me preface this too uh my exposure to them is like very limited that's like usually people that i talked to on reddit a long time ago were very into it and again cool but mm-hmm. i guess for me the hardest part is always just like um can you like if if you um if you like death of god theology and you find something really meaningful in it that's cool and if you still think that you can find like you're it's still worth like calling yourself a christian and kind of grouping yourself in with other people then like that's fine too, I guess, but it's just like you're gonna have such a hard time talking to other people. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. And I don't mean that like, like I don't mean that. I like, guess like a weird. I'm not trying to be mean. I guess is what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to say, but it's just like, how do you talk about your theology with somebody? Like, how could you go to a small group at a church, right, and and be like, oh. uh, Hey, yeah, I I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Oh, uh, but I should also mention that I believe God's dead and has been sublated into the Holy Spirit. And uh, also, like, read this book by Zizek. Like, everyone's going to be like, who are you? <laughs> uh, so, so for me, I just wonder if it's like, is it really a difference that makes a difference in Christianity? Um, or is it just something that is like a cool theological sort of paradigm? Yeah, it's a good question to ask. So, I don't know. Uh, again like if it's if it's your thing like that's cool for me uh i just it's just not my thing and i'd be really confused Uh, a lot of people that like go to my church if you like showed up they'd be very confused by you and (laughs) i think that's fine like come to my church i don't think anyone would send you away or something but like it's just a hard a hard thing to set yourself up with yeah okay cool so here's the next question this one's i think an interesting one um and this person's been interacting with us on twitter and uh, it's been they've been very pleasant so they um, I'll say that. <laughs> I also think that this is the person I officially censored last week. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> finally coming around. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, the question is, if Christians who are on the left don't identify as socialist and or find it philosophically difficult to assent to secular socialism, are they deemed lackluster Christians by Christian socialists? That's a good question. So maybe to, to pick this part a little bit. Um, so the question is kind of like, if you're a Christian and you think you're on the left, but you're not a socialist, 
are you less yeah. of a Christian from the perspective of a Christian socialist? Okay. Uh, I would say you're not less of a Christian, per se. Like, I don't think that your Christianity is necessarily... I wouldn't want to judge somebody's Christianity based on their political leaning, specifically, or their right. program. Um, There's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. Like, for example, there are Christians who are, you know, doing... Uh, <laughs> There are Christian logics that motivate certain types of racism and certain types of sexism, and I would want to make sure that uh, Christians don't get away with that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that angle on it. That is very important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was yeah, thinking we'll the think other end. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, I was thinking of it in the other direction of, like, well, a lot of people that are very good Christians are still not socialists. Like, um, yeah. you know, I don't know, like whatever lots of saints pretty much all of them are not socialists uh but they're still christians yeah that makes sense to me um i think that what i would say to this question is that you're not necessarily you're not like a lackluster christian i mean i don't know what type of christian you'd be uh but you'd be less of a leftist christian i don't or know lackluster like, your politics christian. would just be different like if if you were Okay, so if you're a Christian and you're on the left, like, so say, like, you're a social democrat. It just means you're less of a socialist than Christians who are socialists. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I like that I found a way to answer this question without saying anything important. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that's something, though. Okay, we let's let, we could say something a little stronger, though. All right. We're not going to, like, we're not going to consign you to the hell that we don't believe in by saying, by you not being a socialist. Uh, that being said... Uh, we will say that uh, your politics are probably bad if you're not. Like, are you a Christian on the left and you don't identify as a socialist? Well, then, like, what are you? A capitalist? Well, then you're not on the left. At least not on the left in any meaningful sense that I would want to, like, call you a, a comrade or something. Like, I'll, I'll like, sing next to you at church or whatever. <laughs> okay. I don't find that super, super wrong. I don't know. It's, it's, uh you know, how big is the left or, or what does it mean to be on the left in a meaningful way? Um, I think that uh, this question is really interesting to me because I think that this is actually most people I go to church with. Um, yeah, yeah, people right. People who are social Democrats or just like liberals uh, or centrists, I think, who are Christians, who I definitely believe are really good Christians. And some of them might even consider themselves, uh, you know, somewhere between being a Democratic socialist and uh, a social Democrat or something. And those are people I really actually trust and I think look up to about Christianity, but they are definitely people who I would, um, I wouldn't ask their opinion on politics because I don't know, I wouldn't be very interested in that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's an important, important distinction. And you have to find a way of hanging out with people that you don't agree with politically because you should live a life that isn't just crabby all the time. Yeah, you should live. I mean, like, or, or here's another example, right? So there's this guy that I go to church with and he is an older gentleman and I think amazing because he's like never i he's like never been cynical a day in his life that's awesome but also he has yeah he's a he's like a uh he's a christian but he um his academic career has been on reading the quran as mm. like a christian it's super interesting he's written books about the quran he's a great guy uh but he's not he's not like a socialist but like he knows that i am and he tries really hard to have conversations with me a lot and he's like he's always dropping off like clippings from newspapers and magazines that are about like bernie sanders and like, I really appreciate it. Not because, like, I like Bernie Sanders, but because, like, he's making the effort to talk to me about it, and that's nice. Yeah, that is nice. Nice nice to it's have like, thoughtful relationships, for sure. Yeah. So, you can still have thoughtful relationships with people you don't agree with politically. There. I guess that's a, a good take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. That is. Wow, we're really becoming better people 100 episodes in. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> There's no hell, and you should be friends with people. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, very good takes. All right, let me throw this one toward you. Uh, now that we're talking about cynicism being better people, uh, how do you wrestle with and make sense of your more conservative religious days? Do you <laughs> still hold lessons that you've learned from back in the day? I've been thinking about this one long and hard, and I <laughs> I don't like to think about that part of my life, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Man, how do you wrestle with it? I think I mostly ignore it. Uh, is um is like uh putting a huge part of your life in the closet and ignoring it for a long time wrestling because <laughs> if so i am the heavyweight champion yeah it's a really um, long long match <laughs> yeah. you will lose though yeah that's probably true i don't know i think that um i don't know how i make sense of those days i guess honestly it's just like i think a lot of those like weird um like weird internal and existential fears i had from those days always creep back up in a lot of different ways like 
um i don't know like being afraid like what if uh what if you die and like you actually go to hell um <laughs> or like you get possessed by a demon or uh you know something like wild like that i don't know sometimes or even like or even like all of the really bad sort of like social stuff that goes along with it like where i've had to completely try to readjust the way i think about like um you know lgbt people or uh women or something like that too where those those i mean the sedimentation of very conservative religious upbringing i think have had an effect on my brain that i had to kind of like unpack though okay here's one positive thing maybe here's the one lesson that i still hold that i've learned from back in the day it's it's a dumb one uh okay so i remember when i was pretty like a like a teen a tween even um i had a paper out and i was really good at it got a lot of tips it was really good delivered the newspaper and um i would listen to like this mp3 player uh as i went on my paper route and uh, I would listen to like a lot of secular music, even though my parents didn't really know that I was listening to secular <laughs> music. And I remember like overanalyzing each song I listened to uh, and trying to find like some kind of good Christian meaning that I could pull out of it. So I could even find, so I could just find something that was like edifying, even in like the trash of, you know, the world or whatever. And uh, even though that is like really embarrassing to say now and is like very silly, I think that like that over analysis actually was a really good, <laughs> it was just a really good sort of like mental exercise for me because that's uh, I think what I've made my academic career out of now is trying to pull out some uh, the, the themes of some type of cultural production by overthinking it. So that's been a good thing. Christian culture at least made me very good at uh, pulling meaning and interpreting texts. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was actually thinking the same exact thing. Those That conservatism is really bad for a lot of reasons, and it creates a lot of pathologies that I still haven't really exercised completely. But uh, yeah, well, for me, it was more kind of like a critical hermeneutics. I think because the the conservatism that I was part of was suspicious of secular culture, but also like weirdly suspicious of yourself and your own kind of readings of like biblical texts or whatever. So you'd be constantly pouring over it and rereading it and trying to make sure you're not doing any eisegesis, right? Like reading yourself into the text. And I think that's a really bad way to understand texts, but to this day now, like when I read books, uh, not just academic books, but like political books, or I'm trying to like understand Marx or something, I think that I've actually somehow like weirdly carried on some like strange reading habits that are actually very useful, like trying to read a text on its own terms and like really trying to intuitively sort of bracket certain interpretive apparatuses as far as you are able, uh, mm -hmm. and, and like that is actually genuinely useful to me in my life. And probably I wouldn't have had it without like reading the Bible three or four times when I was in high school or something, which is also very strange, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I have a lot of really good friends from back then who are not like conservative anymore. That's probably the best thing that I got out of it. Yeah. That's nice too. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, man, I haven't talked to anyone from the church I grew up in a long time. Oh, really? Ugh. Yeah. Probably for the best. Probably. We interviewed one of my friends here, Blair Bullen. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Some good ones. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so conservative, the conservative religious days uh, mean, I think, lots of like deprogramming your own brain and introspection about your biases that you've built up. But also, I guess it makes you maybe a good reader. <laughs> or it could. <laughs> yeah. I'll say this too. One thing that I would like to learn, but have not learned, I'll say this. It's a lesson that I know that I should learn, but I'm resistant to do it is uh that like there was a time in my life that when i thought a lot of very bad things and because a lot of people are really patient i don't think those things anymore and mm -hmm. that is a lesson that i wish that i learned better now already in my life that like huh. you should actually be patient with people who have really really you know naive opinions or something because you know there were there was a time in my life when i didn't have anything good to say about a lot of good a lot of important things and uh yeah just thanks to a lot of people who like didn't write me off that i ended up not in that position anymore so that's a lesson that i have not learned but would like to learn sometimes <laughs> that's fun oh man what about this though okay so something that maybe it was a I guess uh, an energy or an impulse from like sort of conservative upbringing that i've had to transform in a good way i think it's like in in conservative evangelicalism uh like you have to be a radical to actually be serious about it yeah yeah you know? that's right it so it's committing. like yeah you have to commit you have to take it like super seriously um you have to like kind of buy into this whole language and sort of system of values and you have to be like a cultural warrior for those things and uh i mean like, like i don't know 
I don't know how you could go through like being an evangelical and like not come out as like, like a really rabid communist on the other end because it's just like <laughs> the, you, you've had such a long time practicing being like uh, like completely obtuse and um, adversarial about culture for such a long time. Like just you just got to repurpose those energies in a different direction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I will say being an evangelical is what made me an anarchist for sure. Uh, yeah because the premise yeah, was course. like well this is what the bible says like god doesn't really seem that like psyched about israel having a state and like jesus doesn't really seem that pumped about rome having a state either and uh if you took the bible really seriously then maybe you wouldn't be so excited about the state yourself uh so you know there was yeah, totally. that yeah like i became an anarchist not because of like worker struggles or something but definitely because i read like jackalo once mm-hmm. so they have it that's the that's the way out Anarchism is the is the back door to evangelical. It really is, I think, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Tell your evangelical friends <laughs> about how bad the state is. <laughs> and then tell them about how good it could be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well that's the that's the the third move once you've uh, gotten out a few steps yeah, down the road. Anar- anarchism is the back door to evangelicalism and communism is the front door back into like <laughs> Catholicism or it like, was in my case. And... Yeah. All right. Well, um, That'll have to come out in therapy maybe later or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, that's here, true. Here's the last question uh, that I'm really not excited about answering. To Filioque or not to Filioque? Oh, does no. the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son or the Father alone? Oh, boy. Uh, what am I supposed to do with this question? <laughs> Answer it. Answer <laughs> it in an orthodox way. Or else uh, someone will tell someone else in the Catholic hierarchy that you've done wrong and you'll yeah. have to do something about it yeah well wouldn't be the first time um <laughs> <laughs> the problem is if i answer it in an orthodox way i'll be wrong haha <laughs> theology nerd joke oh my uh, gosh yeah there you go no. <laughs> um let's see my so whatever the pope's supposed to be like your spiritual dad and he says you should say the father and the son so i guess that's what i have to say yeah i don't know fine <laughs> yeah whatever i don't know i, yeah, I genuinely I mean... don't like i <laughs> I've read a few books about this when I was in my early 20s, and I still am not convinced there's actually that much at stake here. But uh, that's bound to make plenty of folks upset, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, man, I know that people care about this, and I know that like an entire church split happened over this. But boy, <laughs> do I just not understand why it matters to anybody. I mean, I do understand why it matters, because it's about <laughs> like you know which part of the Trinity is like the best or whatever but you got uh, the dad god the baby god and the windy god (laughs) uh you ever read the book the shack (laughs) it's kind (laughs) of like that right uh they all come to your cabin in the woods one of them uh brings you presents i think okay but but for real though have you ever read the book the shack (laughs) no no i couldn't read that book oh man my mom gave it to me when i was in college and i read it and i gave her a scathing theological critique of it (laughs) and she was like all right. <laughs> Shouldn't have given me this book. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, shout out to all those moms. All those moms of lefty Christians. Uh, it's a hard life. <laughs> it's a hard life. It's a very Be confusing nice life. Mom. Yeah. My mom uh, got me Why Marx is Right one year for Christmas, and she was like, I don't really know what to do with you anymore. So here you go. I was like, thanks, mom. I, I really <laughs> want to read this. <laughs> That's nice. One time my mom bought me... Uh, Oh, uh, those those Foucault uh, <laughs> Foucault interviews, the power of knowledge ones. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I asked her to, so that's why. But appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate that good gift. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, is that all the theology questions? Do we have any others? That we've got no, man, through? that's it. That's all of them, huh? Well, I guess that's theology. That's why we don't do it. <laughs> That is why we don't do it. All right. Uh, here's one more Reddit question to send us off into the end of the show. Is that yeah. cool with you? Yeah, it sounds good. All right. It's a very long one, so I'm not going to read it all. Um, <laughs> but here it goes. So, Dean, this is the deal. A friend yeah. of mine uh, is a Wiccan. They spelled uh-huh. the Wiccan wrong. They spelled okay. it W-I-C-K-E-N. And then they <laughs> right after they said Wiccan, they said, I don't know if that's spelled right or not. <laughs> so, anyways, let me start over. A friend of mine is a Wiccan. But they offered to do a spell for me. I accepted, but I'm kind of worried that I accepted (laughs) now because I don't know if it would be a sin or not. Um, So they have this long backstory about this person, the friend who's a Wiccan, and they want to do a spell for them. Hmm. So, Dean, what do you think? Is this 
Uh, can Christians accept uh, spells done by Wiccan friends? <laughs> uh, well, it depends. Uh, is this their wizardy ways coming out? That's the real question I would ask. Uh, and and can you do a prayer that is uh, also a spell for them? Maybe there could be a mutual mm. transaction here. Yeah, they don't really say what the spell is for. And to me, that is that could be a deal breaker, right? If it's like... You know, if it's going to make you really muscular and strong, then yeah, I think it's probably fine. Yeah, but if it's going to give uh, you, like, diarrhea, no thanks. Ooh, no, I would say no to that one. A lot sure. of prayer time, though, with that spell. Um, <laughs> that's So, I mean, think about it that way, though. If you if you were uh, going to have a, sort of a poop time, you could pray during all of that, and it's like the spell did that for you. Hmm. Yeah, there's always there's always a there's always a bright side to every spell. That is that is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the comments just says, "Hi there, your friend sounds nice. If you're a Christian, you should stay away from witchcraft, no matter how it's presented." <laughs> I don't know, honestly, man. Just let your friend be nice to you. I think is the best way to go about this. Yeah, that's good. Uh, a lot of Christians cast spells, um, especially back in the weird old Renaissance time. That was my that was almost my master's thesis was about how all these Christians were casting weirdo spells. What kind of spells? Crazy ones, man. They were just, uh, <laughs> they were after so much weird stuff. Alchemy, it's a wild thing. All right. Well, it's fine with me. Hey, if it's like, uh, I think spells, uh, like Death of God theology, like Peter Rollins, if it's like cool for you and you're like kind of into <laughs> it and getting something good out of it, I think just go for it. <laughs> but also, you should probably think about socialism a little bit more. That's, that's sort of my hot take. All right. I think good. that's our basic theology take. I don't know. Does it does it hurt your feelings? Oh, get rid of it. Doesn't hurt your feelings? Fine, that's okay. Well, anyway, uh, are you gonna be at that at that strike or what? <laughs> you should also be nice to your mom. All right. Hey, <laughs> thanks for listening to episode one hundred of the Magnificast. It's been a really good one. Um, if you didn't like this episode, uh, sorry, this one's for us. It's the big one hundred, and it's it's our episode. We found this um, one. In. Yeah. Uh, so if you um didn't like it though, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back on our regular bullshit next week uh, when we do something completely different. Hey, so anyways, uh, thanks for supporting us this whole time and being cool on Twitter to us. We got so many good Twitter followers, and there's like a, a very fun community around the show. And I like you all, and you're all very good. And um, be nice to your mom and be nice to other people. Uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash TheMagnificast. You can also buy stickers and T-shirts on our store on Redbubble. Um, I don't know what the URL for that one is, but you could probably find it yourself. Just go to Redbubble and search the Magnificast. Um, cool. Anything else we should say, Dean? Or is that, or is that good? No, that's good. They're plowing the uh, the driveway right outside my window, so this is the perfect time, time to end. Aw, oh, sweet. All right, see you next time. <laughs>